You can turn in the to book of Zephaniah. I was asked to preach on uh, Nahum a while back at a different church, and I was blessed by that study. And last a couple uh, weeks ago, I looked at the book of Habakkuk, and now we want to look at the book of Zephaniah. He is actually one of the, the uh, minor prophets. That's a small book with a big message. And I believe Zephaniah was very courageous, a bold prophet. He was faithful to God, delivering an unpopular message. But nevertheless, he, he, he uh, it was a needed message of judgment that he delivered there to the uh, children of Israel. So we see the author is Zephaniah. He's not mentioned any other place in the Bible, but his message is. We're going to see parallels in Revelation, and especially Zephaniah talks more about the day of the Lord than any other prophet. So this book largely deals with the God's judgment on his people, Judah. And we, uh, the judgment, and also we're going to see judgment on the other nations, uh, and specifically how they treated Israel. So we're going to see the severity of God balanced with the goodness of God in this book. So the, uh, there's three chapters, and we're going to try to go through them uh, get, to get the full message of the book in one setting. So his name means the Lord hides, are uh, hidden in the Lord. And in verse 1, I'd like to read verse one and verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. A lot of people mentioned there in one verse. But he tells us, they t- he tells more about himself that we can date him better. We can give a date. And... Uh, he tells us that he is living, prophesying during the time of Josiah as a king, and, and also his great-grandpa, uh, he's a great-great-grandson of Hezekiah, so he's royal blood. So he would have likely had access to the royal throne. So he's a great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. He prophesied during Josiah's reign, reign and it dates to approximately 630 B.C., about 25 years ahead of their destruction. So he's, he's likely a distant cousin to Josiah, and he was also a contemporary with Habakkuk and Jeremiah. So he would have likely, uh, likely been just ahead of Jeremiah and right after Nahum. So we know Josiah was the, one of the, la- the last good king in Judah. And he also uh, was followed by the, la- the good king Hezekiah. So we just want to think a little bit about the background. Hezekiah was a good king. He feared God. He was humble. And he did a lot to get rid of the idolatry in the land. He tore a lot down the idols. And we could look at And then along comes his son, uh, Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was totally opposite. And, and uh, he, he's a very bad king. Actually, the Bible says he's the worst king. He led Israel to do more downhill than any other king. And uh, he rebuilds the altars, and he introduces the child sacrifice to Molech. And, uh, and, and he's not, it, he, he took Israel down for 55 years. That, his reign was 55 years. That would be like from 1967 till today. Just evil. And, uh, and it says that God drove out the evil nations ahead of them to make room for his holy people. And now... 
these, his people were worse than the people they replaced. And uh, so Manasseh had his 55-year reign. Then his son comes along, Ammon. Now, Ammon was assassinated early on. He was only king for two years, so that didn't last very long. And then Josiah became king. Now, Josiah was eight years old. We know the story, King Josiah at eight. So there's obviously others that had influence in his life. But what was Josiah going to do? That's the big question. Everybody was looking. Is he going to follow Grandpa Manasseh, or is he going to follow great-grandpa Hezekiah? And we know the story how he became king at eight, and he sought the Lord at 16, and he, at 20 he was convicted of idolatry and, and tore down idols. And at age 26, he re renovated the, the temple, and he found the book of the law and, and just uh, initiated spiritual reform. And that was a, a, a good, a good uh, recipe for, for a, a spiritual renewal, this uh, but can you imagine, and this is when Zephaniah comes on the scene. Zephaniah comes along with this message of judgment if they don't repent. So we have a godly king. We want to see the setting. We have a godly king and this godly prophet working together. And it could be that Zephaniah had part of Josiah's uh, success. When we look at the success there, that, he, that, uh, that, that the spiritual renewal that happened was uh, possibly some of Zephaniah's doings. He's probably preaching earlier on in, in uh, Josiah's ministry. So this, this morning we want to look at five points here, and it's in the chapters 1, 2, and 3. We're not going to take it in order. I'm just going to take it in these in this, uh, themes. And number one, we're going to look at God's judgment against Judah, and that is the theme of the book. That's what the majority of the book is about. Secondly, we're going to look a little bit, just a few minutes, at the judgment against other nations because there's judgment that's pronounced against other nations. And then we're going to look at the day of the Lord. Zephaniah talks more about the day of the Lord than any other prophet. And we're going to see the call to repentance and ending with the hope uh, for the remnant. So in uh, chapter 1, we want to look at judgment against Judah. In verse 2, it says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and, name, and the name of Jerims and the priests and them that worship the host of heavens upon the housetops and them that worship and that swear by the Lord and swear by Malcolm and them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And he has come to pass, and, and it, it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such that are clothed in strange apparel. In the same day also I will punish all those that leap upon the threshold which fill their master's house and vi with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of a cry from the fish gate and from the howling from the second and a, and, the, and, a gate, and a great crashing from the hill. How you inhabitants of, of Matash, 
for all the merchant people are cut down, all that bare silver are cut off. I think I'll just stop right there for, for now. But here we see that it starts right out with the judgment against Judah, against the man, all men, beasts and birds and fish. And it's not just the wicked men, but it's like God's going to take a scraper and just wipe things clean. And so Zephaniah is opening with a stern message that judgment is coming. And he tells them why. He tells them why, because of their rampant idolatry and their complacency. They're forgetting God. And it's a common theme here that we see in the prophets. So we want to take a closer look at the why. You know, why God is pronouncing this kind of a judgment. And because I don't believe, you know, God says he changes not. God doesn't change. So I believe in the, today in the New Testament, we have a higher standard than the Old Testament. We're living in the day of grace where more is given, more is received. So we want to look at the why. Judah's in danger of judgment and destruction and going into captivity because they have repeatedly fallen into idolatry. And they could care less about God. They have forsaken God. They forsook him. And they went after uh, other things. And it's idolatry. In verse 4, it talks about cutting off Baal from this place. Calls out Baal worship. And uh, Baal worship came from the Canaanites. And we know the story of you know, Elijah and the contest of Mount Carmel. Well, this was kept coming back to worshiping Baal. And God calls it out. And in verse 5, he also calls out... Uh, worshiping the host of heaven from the housetops. And it sounds like star worship or astrology. And then he calls out this Malcolm. Now, Malcolm here is the same as Molech. Molech is the national god of the Amorites, where they literally sacrificed their babies to to Molech. And, you know, God is irritated by this. God is angry and... uh, when they inherited the land, they were supposed to destroy everything, but which they didn't always do as they were told. And the result is they were plagued with this idol worship for centuries. So bad that they were worse than the people that they replaced. So they forsook the true and living God instead of, instead of worship. They went to worship these wood pieces of wood and stone. They bowed down and worshiped this, these uh, objects you know, can you imagine bowing down to a deaf piece of wood that couldn't speak? You know, God is love, and we, we love him because he first loved us. And it's a love relationship. This piece of wood can't love you back. You know, it's foolish. And there's some scriptures that bring out the foolishness of idol worship. But it does show us that man has a desire to worship something. Man has an inner need to worship something. Uh, greater than himself, and we this stands out here, and we see this idol worship that was just uh, over and over again comes back to plague the children of Israel. But God made us in His in His image to connect, to commune, to have an intimate relationship with Him. And verse six, He's calling them out that that's not happening. They did not have this intimate relationship. In verse 6 it says, And they that turn from the Lord, those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. You know, it, was, uh, it says there was no prayer or lack of intimacy. So if we don't turn to him, we'll turn to something else. And that uh, comes out over and over again. So, you know, in our settings here, we would, now we would never bow down to a piece of wood. <clears throat> would we? 
you know, well, what are the idols in, in, our, in our country? What are the idols that, that plague us in America today? Is there any idols that plague us today? I believe there's a God of pleasure, a God of amusement that says, let's have fun. I believe there's a God of sports. I believe there's a God of technology. I believe there's a God of materialism, greed, covetousness, wanting more, no contentment. You know, I, uh, idolatry is something that competes with God. Maybe it's for our time. Maybe it's for our attention, our love and devotion. If there's something that's competing with God in our lives, it's the same thing as to God as us bowing down to an idol. You know, it's moderate, modern idols can be a lot more subtle. In Colossians, it says, we have a verse that says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is lusting for more or for what others have, but why is this called idolatry? Why is it called idolatry? You know, it's competing with our contentment in Christ. That's why it's, it's, it's idolatry. It's competition with God. You know, we're uh, told in 1 Corinthians, wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. You know, we were, we're warned in the New Testament just like the Old Testament. You know, the, uh, the importance, it's just as, as serious today as it was back then. And John, little children, keep yourself from idols. We see it through the New Testament. John, as an old man, is warning, says, keep yourselves from idols. There are many, many idols today that are more subtle. You know, uh, and also in verse 5, we see that they were, at the end of verse 5, it says, and they that swear by the Lord and swear by Malcolm. So there was, there, they, they were serving God plus the idols. They brought their idols in with. They were worshiping together. And it, we can't serve both. The New Testament brings that out very clear. You know, bowing down to a, a, an image to Molech would be very easy to identify, right? But what is it today that competes for our affection and devotion to the Lord? We're, we're seeing that the judgment pronounced was because of their idolatry. God doesn't share his our allegiance, our loyalty, our devotion. He doesn't share it. Now, I'd like to just uh, think about a couple, I mean, a few verses, eight. We won't spend a lot of time here, but it's a picture of a sacrifice. Um, and verse nine, it talks about some of their, the stepping over of the threshold. That's uh, the superstition that uh, they were uh, with the God, with Dagon falling over, they had this idea of stepping over the threshold, and God says, I'm going to punish those who imitate the superstitions of the pagan people. In verse 11, we see, about, uh, see a, an economic collapse. They're cutting down, but we want to go into verse 12. Verse 12, he calls out their complacency. Complacency. In verse 12, it says, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles, and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, the Lord will do no good, neither will he do evil. Complacency. He calls them out for their complacency. And that was an attitude in their thinking about God, their lazy, apathetic attitude towards him. Now, it says here that uh, they're settled 
he's going to go out and search the ones that are settled in their lees. That's a word we don't use a lot. But the, the new King James would say who are settled in their complacency. So the lees uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Bible times or whatever, this, this, was, a, this was a phrase that meant the uh, complacency among people. The dregs were the were the uh, the lees or the dregs were the 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 of the wine that when it would settle in a keg to the bottom, and the idea here is something that just sits and just settles and becomes settled, and it's a phrase that means complacency. This phrase here is an attitude. The complacency is an attitude. You know, the Lord will do no no good, or He's not going to do evil. It's an attitude about God. It says God is not really concerned about what's going on. You know, he's not really involved. He's not really doing anything. And we can look at circumstances and and say in our heart, you know, God's not going to respond. God's not going to do anything. He's not going to do good or he's not going to do bad. He's not going to punish us. So people can go on just living the way they want to and disregard God, disregard his word. and And it ends up in a spiritual decline. You know, complacency is not doing evil things. Complacency is just checking out spiritually, uninvolved, don't care. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. Disregard. That's what was happening here in Jerusalem. And God's saying, I'm going to go out with a candle and I'm going to search out. I'm going to punish those that are settled in their complacency. That's what, that's what the... Uh, that's what God was calling out here for the coming judgment. You know, and I believe that our church environment today, you know, in America, let's say, and we could bring it home to Marstown, is, uh, is maybe conducive to spiritual complacency. Or maybe it can lend that way to, to be pretty easy to be complacent. What do I mean? Well, you know, we're living in a, in a time where we have no persecution, no physical persecution. You know, if we would be living in the time of or living in China or living in a closed country, you know, where you worship underground uh, or living during the time of the Reformation, things would really, you'd either be in or you'd be out. You would, you, you'd be black or you'd be white. You, you, there's, no, there's no middle ground. There's no place to be uh, complacent. You're going to be in or you're going to be out. Now, we can be thankful for the freedoms that we have, but I'm just saying our, it can lend that way with the freedoms that we have experienced over the, the last many, many years. Secondly, we live in a land of abundance. We live in a land of abundance. You know, God warned his people uh, in Deuteronomy, you know, that when you go in and you find the wells that you didn't dig and the houses you didn't build and... and uh, and vineyards you didn't plant and he says when you're eaten and full beware why beware of what that you forsake God you just forget about him so we uh, you know we can live in a a time today that we we live in a land of abundance and God has blessed us so much and and it's not that something we can change or you know we we are live we're here where we're at but we can we can't get the uh, idea that we can just handle things on our own we can you know we 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 uh we need to depend on god we can't be lazy god is calling out this lazy apathetic attitude towards him we can't be lazy idle indifferent 
You know, the uh, one version calls it stagnant in spirit. So in verse 13, it says their goods, in verse 13, it says, Therefore their goods shall become a bounty, and their house is a desolation. They also shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and not drink the wine thereof. So it talks about being a house as a desolation. God's going to bring judgment, and that's going to jolt them right out of their complacency. And it's going to cause distress. When the Babylonians come in and besiege the city, things will change. That's going to bring them out of their uh, complacency. Another thing that we can see that lends towards spiritual complacency is our busy lives. We live in a busy, scheduled time frame. Uh, you know, we just, it, it doesn't help for this spiritual complacency. We can get just preoccupied in our things and, and with other things, and we can have a lazy attitude spiritually until a crisis comes, and then we cry, you know, God, God, help us, and then we all of a sudden we get serious with God. And God can use these times to get us out of our spiritual complacency. Uh, but the coming judgment, the, the stress that we, that's coming to Judah, you know, will just jerk them right out of it. So in, uh, now moving on in chapter 3, I'm going to jump over to chapter 3 now and just look at some more reasons for the judgment against Judah. Uh, and that is because of their filthy, polluted, oppressing city. In chapter 3, it says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Uh, She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. And then it calls out the princes and the leaders uh, right after that. So here we see the, the, uh, he calls out the polluted, oppressing, filthy city. And that doesn't sound very complimentary. And we can imagine what all was involved there and in verse 2 he calls out the sins of omission things they weren't doing they 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 obeyed not the voice they uh, received not correction she trusted not in the Lord she drew not near to her God so it wasn't just what they the bad things they were doing was the good things they weren't doing that God is calling out here and then we see the uh the, pollute, the, the polluting the sanctuary, and then God calls out the leaders and has a strong words for the leaders, prowling animals, seeking whom, whom he did, they did devour. You know, the, uh, they, they were light. They didn't lack seriousness. They were uh, treacherous, and they led people astray. These are all found in chapter 3 here. They polluted what they touched and did violence to the law. You know, God says, I thought they would listen. Instead, they rose up early to do more evil. It's like getting up early. They couldn't get up early enough to do more evil. It sounds like the time of Noah when they're, they're, uh, all the imaginations of their heart were evil continually. So Zephaniah is giving a message of the coming judgment directly to Judah. God is serious about sin, and he calls everyone to repentance. But first we want to look at the, uh, the judgment on other nations. Now we're going to just skip over this, but you'll find it in chapter 2. But God is, is not, he was, had his focus on Judah, and that was where the most of the focus was. But a little focus here on other nations, from the east, west, north, and the south. And they're the Philistine cities. And it talks about how God is going to bring judgment on them as well. And what we see here is that all men are accountable to God. 
Judgment is, was, uh, and the, the judgment on these nations were especially how they treated Israel. God judges, you know, if God judges the sin of the heathen, how much more the sins of God's people? And, you know, we have the verse judgment, but it's first start at the household of God. So this talks a lot about the severity of God, the severity of God. And we're going to see the goodness of God as well. Now, the next point is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, this book describes the coming day of the Lord more than any other book. I believe, uh, well, Revelation does too. But, it, you know, here we have the, I taught this lesson, I believe, in Sunday school before I had some notes but from prior. But I do have outlined here every day of the Lord I have highlighted. And it's just all through the book of Zephaniah. And this, the, uh, there we can see the day of the Lord is at hand, the great day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath, the day of the Lord's anger. The, and this is a theme through the Bible. In Joel, it says the great and terrible day. And in Malachi, is the great and dreadful day. So let's just read uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. No, chapter... Chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So here we see the, uh, it's a day of gloom and a day of distress and dis, uh, dis describing the judgment. God's saying, because of your sins of idolatry and complacency, I'm going to bring a distress upon you and the land that's going to jolt you out of your idolatry. These verses describe the coming of the Babylonian invasion. That's the near future for them. That was the, uh, the near future for them was the Babylonians were going to come in in 25 years and just and and wipe them out. The God's judgment, but it also refers to the final judgment of the wicked when God is going to destroy judge the nations. So it applied to the it applied to the near future and to the end of time. So it has a dual meaning. This dual this day of the Lord it applied to them. And it applies for something in the future, the coming tribulation that is coming. You know, in Revelations, it talks about, uh, you know, it's very similar language when we, just, when we compare Revelation to what we just read here in Zephaniah. Revelation speaks a lot about the tribulation period that's coming. The, and Revelation talks, calls it the great day of his wrath has come. And I'd like to just think about a little bit the parallels between... Uh, Zephaniah and Revelation. We were looking at the judgment of God's people, the first point, and we see, you know, God's messages to the churches in Revelation. It's a parallel. And we see the call to repentance. Uh, we're going to look at it. We didn't get there yet. 
but the call of repentance in Zephaniah. You know, there's a call to repent uh, to in, in Revelation as well. We see the judgment of the nations was here in Zephaniah, and we see the Revelation is full of the judgment for the nations in Revelation. Uh, the day of the Lord in Zephaniah here is uh, the day of judgment. Day of the Lord is filled in Revelation as well. And then we're going to see here the final bliss or the hope for the remnant. And we see the final bliss there in Revelation 21. Just an interesting parallel. There's lots of scriptures that were preached by the prophets that point right to the Revelation, right to our New Testament. So the message is for us today. Uh, a lot of parallels. Now, God always gives us the opportunity to repent. You know, God calls out their, uh, God calls out their, uh, their idolatry, calls out their complacency. He calls a lot of other things out, but he says there is a call to repentance. And always we will see in the books of judgment, we always see the mercy of God. And here we're going to see the goodness of God. We saw the severity of how God is going to be severe. He's, he means business. But we also see his goodness. And it, well, part of his goodness is the call to repentance. He always gives opportunity to repent. Uh, in chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree, bring forth the day, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord, all you meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be it, that you will be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So here we see the, uh, the, the day of the Lord, uh, I mean the, uh, the call to repent. He calls the people to recognize the fact, admit the fact that judgment is coming. He says in verse 18, we looked, read it earlier, your silver and gold is not going to help. Your silver and gold, he says, the time to repent is before. And the verse 2 I have broken out here. It says, before the decree, before the day passed, before the fierce, before. That's the time to repent. To get right with God is before. Uh, get right with God. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You know, they could avoid the coming judgment if they would repent. You know, if we take care, the, taking care of things is done before. You know, Lot was rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and brimstone fell. Noah was rescued from the, from the floodwaters before the rains came. We take care of things before. You see, God offered them a way out. God offered consolation and comfort and God offers the, uh, the same to the believer uh, today. You know, we, 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 we make things right with him today before the judgment comes. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, it's a way out. It's a way out. Uh, we need to be hid in Christ. If we seek righteousness and humility, it may be, in verse 3, it says, it may be that you'll be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. You know, if we, uh, if we don't have to experience God's anger and wrath if we take care of things before. Here's the goodness of God. The goodness of God. If they would repent, they could have avoided that coming judgment. We see God's uh, mercy extended to those that repent in, in, uh, towards him. 
But I believe that, uh, you know, as for the Christian today, when we think about the, uh, we make things right beforehand, and, and when we think about the rapture that's coming, you know, the, the God's fury is going to be poured out on this earth sometime, tells us in Revelation. And I believe that the rapture will happen before God's fury is poured out on this earth. You know, with the, when God judges all nations, all the wickedness, I believe the rapture will happen ahead of the Lord's release of, this, of his anger. I don't think the child of God will suffer the judgment if we turn to him before, if we turn to him before hand. You know, when we look at God's judgment drawing near, now going back to the children of Israel, the judgment is drawing near. We have to remember that there was generations of prophets that were preaching before and warned them and that there was something they could do about it. There's something today. Zephaniah was preaching 25 years ahead of their destruction. And today we can say, too, the same thing. There's generations of preachers that have been preaching and warning. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You know, um, today is the day of salvation. We need to turn to him today. We can uh, avoid that coming wrath if we take care, if we have our calling and election sure today. Well, we have a wonderful ending, and there's hope for the remnant. Hope for the remnant. There's an announcement. You know, God is rejoicing over his people. In verse 14 says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O, o Israel, be glad and rejoice with all thy heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And in verse 17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, he will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. So here, Zephaniah predicted the coming doom and judgment of Judah, but he also talked about their return. The return. How it would be a time of happiness and great joy when a remnant would return to Judah. How God would one day gather them and they would return to Judah, the remnant. And... Uh, and I believe it has dual meaning as well. When they experienced that in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, they, they returned, they brought the people back, and it was a happy time and a joyous time. And, uh, and I believe it's also a meaning today when in the future, you know, how God will, when the time of the Gentiles is over and God turns back to the Jew, they, uh, there'll be a, there, is a, there is a return today. You know, since Israel was made a state, you see the, the people flocking back to Jerusalem. And I believe uh, there's a, and another time when God will punish the Gentile nations and restore Israel and Judah to their land. Now, also, I'd like to look at verse uh, 8 in Zephaniah 3 and verse 8. And here's a clear prediction of the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, certainly a prediction of the battle of Armageddon. It says, Therefore wait, ye upon the, uh, wait upon me, saith the Lord, un, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon, my pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy." So here's a clear prediction of the battle of Armageddon here in Zephaniah 3.8. When all the nations shall gather against Israel in the last days, like it says there in Revelation 19. But Jesus Christ will return and judge these nations and regather the scattered Jew 
and establish his kingdom on earth. In verse 10, in, three, in chapter 3 and verse 10, we see that the most widely uh, dispersed will be restored. And in, uh, in verse, uh, verse 10, it also talks about my offerings, not offerings to Baal, not offerings to Molech, and how these people will be no more haughty. The remnant will be a humble people and who will do no iniquity, speak no lies, and no deceitful tongue or pure language. A beautiful picture of what the church should look like. So in verse 14 it says, O daughter of Zion, rejoice. You know, it was a rejoicing time when, uh, when Ezra and Nehemiah took the people back. It was a rejoicing time when Christ came. And I believe the Christian is always commanded to rejoice. Rejoice. In uh, verse 15 it says, Rejoice because the Lord hath removed his hand of judgment. In uh, verse 16 it says, Not be, Don't be discouraged. The hands that hang limp. Uh, but be encouraged. This, it's a, jo- a joyous time. And in verse 17, it says, The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. Is, is this referring to the millennium or in heaven? You know, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ lives within us, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you. And I believe it can also refer to the return. I believe it's, refer- it's referring to them in their day. It refers to today. And I believe it's, it refers to the future in heaven when we are face to face with Jesus. But here we can see God is rejoicing in his people. He finds joy in them. He finds joy in them. And it's one place we can see that God is singing. God is singing. He looks at his people and he sings a song. And it says in verse 17, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest uh, quite you in, in his love. And he sings a song. Imagine Creator God singing a song about you and about me. Redeemed people bring joy to God. You know, it, he doesn't rejoice over sin or sinners, but he's rejoicing in his children. And what a challenge that is to be a person that can rejoice, that whom God can rejoice in. He can look at my life and sing a song. You know, uh, when, when ashes turn to beauty... God delights in that. It's what he's done. It's not what we've done. It's what he's done. And just a, a little thing here yet. <clears throat> says, you know, in the last two verses, they're all the I wills. When we're thinking about it, it's God's work. God says, I will turn. I will gather. I will undo. I will save. I will change. I will bring you in. I will make you. It's what God, it's I, I will do this. You see, the children of Israel broke their covenant with God, but God's saying, I will. I, he'll, never, he'll never break his covenant with his people. He'll never leave us or forsake us. I will be there. He's talking about a wonderful future when, we can, when he can, will quiet them with his love. After all the stresses and the strains are gone. For the children of Israel, is when they're returned from captivity, there was, that was a, a time of a, a desolation. It was a time of uh, uh, stresses and strains. And God will bring them back and he will sing and rejoice over them. And God wants to sing and rejoice over us. Here we see the, certainly see the goodness of God. You can't miss it. You know, we have to see this. We have to see the goodness side of God. The mercy, his goodness, he's compassionate, he's long-suffering. 
You know, but we must also see the other side. God is a, he's severe, the severity of God. He does mean business when he says what he says. And we saw the judgment that was pronounced and it happened on the children of Israel. Now, what brought God's wrath? What brought God's wrath? What made God angry? And I think the same things that it makes him angry today, the idolatry, the complacency, Jerusalem was polluted with filth. There was those that were saying they can worship God and worship Malcolm at the same time. But God will not share his allegiance, our allegiance with another. This little book is for today. I believe this little book has, is in, has bold letters for us today. A small book with a big message, with a big message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love to us. Thank you for your what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the little book here in Zephaniah that gives us a glimpse into your, your uh, severity and your love for mankind. Help us to, uh, to take care of things in this life that we can be hidden in you, hidden from your, from your, from your anger in the time to come. Father, I just thank you for Jesus that has made that possible. Father, I just commit our, each one of us into your hands and just pray that you will help us to, to live lives that you can rejoice in and sing a song about. Thank you so much for what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I had uh, talked to Nate about a song, so I don't know if you're going to do that or not. <laughs> okay, so um, that's fine. Th this, uh, this actually, uh, last, last verse there is a song. And uh, I knew it wasn't well known to m me, <laughs> so I asked Nate about it, and that's fine. So we, uh, he has something else. So let's stand together, and uh, you can have a song, and consider yourselves dismissed. Mm -hmm.